Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today is the founder and CEO of a business called The Culture Equation. Now, this is a boutique management consultancy that specializes in creating high-performing culture for organizations to create collaborative teams. Here, I'm Saki Kenny, grew up in Saudi Arabia with an Irish mum and a Lebanese dad. That's pretty unusual. She moved to Ireland to study sociology, then went to New York for an internship in theater PR in Times Square before working in the leadership team at Google for 10 years. So it's fair to say she has an extensive amount of experience around culture and workplace, change management, and the importance of good relationships and leadership within the workplaces. Ham has led strategic initiatives for thousands of people to change how their teams work and develop high-performing cultures. And she's done this with clients ranging from scale-ups to corporate organizations and non-profits, including Western Sydney University, the Dry July Foundation, and Merlin Entertainment. In 2020, she saw businesses trying to navigate the uncertainty of COVID, so Hiam's team created a bespoke program to supercharge businesses by developing high-performing cultures able to lead through any crisis. Things as simple as asking for a pay rise, giving your boss constructive feedback, or confronting team challenges with confidence. I'm going to ask him, what has COVID presented to us in terms of the distributed workplace now? How do we make sure that the culture within the organisation is not completely lost, but at the same time, if you have to rebuild the culture or maintaining the culture, you don't have to load up on a whole heap of costs, extra costs. So it's going to be a really interesting discussion. It's quite fascinating, to be frank with you. So let's get into it. Ian Sakakini, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you for having me. I detect a, an accent there, sounds Irish. It is, yes, absolutely. I'm the product of a Irish mother and a Lebanese father, so a bit of a crossbreed. Yeah, but you, therefore you're brought up in Ireland. No, uh, we were brought up in Saudi Arabia for the first 10 years and then Ireland for up until uni. Yeah, so because you, you, to get that accent, you either you either your mother was a massive influence on you, or your father <laughs> had um, no accent, or you went, or you lived in Ireland. One of the three. A little bit, yeah, exactly. A bit of each. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've always been interested. In, um, my family's um, Irish and Greek, and um, both religions—the the Greek Orthodox religion and the Irish Catholic religion—are pretty strong. Yeah. Um, and uh, the religion that reigned supreme in our house was Catholicism. Oh, really? Yeah. How about yours? Well, obviously being brought up in Saudi, um, they had to go pretty agnostic. So they, they made a decision not to go with either, either side. Yeah, but uh, to teach us about everything. So really understand uh, each religion, the, the special days, the reasons behind those special days, and, and just to respect um, everybody's beliefs that there is none better, worse, 
they just are what they are. I'm, I'm always curious about how the um, various forces in a family operate. Um, obviously, they form who you are, and in the end, they can determine what business you go into and what type of business you do, for that matter. And and also, what you feel comfortable with is what you can be passionate about. If you're not comfortable with something based on your sort of growing up, it's what you believe in generally in terms of morals and ethics and various other things. And and probably to some extent has some relevance to this conversation with you in relation to your business as well. Culturally, it's important too. So take me through what it was like to be living in a place like uh, Saudi Arabia. See, your dad's Lebanese, but you lived in Saudi Arabia, yes. which are different places, obviously. obviously yeah, yeah. Um, Saudi Arabia is a lot stricter than Lebanon. Um, <laughs> take me through it a little bit. Why, why were you in Saudi Arabia for a start? Yeah. I mean, why was a Lebanese guy in Saudi Arabia? That's pretty unusual in itself. Yeah, no, he found employment there. You know, it was during the time of uh, the civil war in Lebanon. There was not many opportunities there for him. Was there um, around 67 or something? Yeah. Where is it? Well, I think it went, went over for 17 years and the yeah. fallout was even longer in terms of economic recovery. So, yeah, he, he found um, employment. He was uh, a general manager of a chain of supermarkets, sort of like the Coles over here. The, they were yep. kind of the, the same sort of idea over there. Um, so that's where he got, uh, yeah, sponsored to live there because without that sponsorship by a, a Saudi, you can't live in Saudi Arabia. How the hell did he marry your mum? Like, well, what is going on there? <laughs> uh, well, the story goes is they met in Nigeria of all places. So that was way back. And uh, well, what was your mum? Was she a missionary or something? What was no, she doing in Nigeria? Um, she was on site. She was a makeup artist for a movie that was being produced. And there was some sort of location that involved Nigeria. And she was there for that. He was the... I think he was he was running a casino that was owned by Shell, and they collided they met, there. And somehow ended up in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Did you live in one of those compounds in Saudi Arabia? We did. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is quite um, contained. So whether yeah. it's in the expat lifestyle over there, you have your compounds, which are once you're within those walls, you can pretty much do what you like, you know, within reason. Mm. Um, so yeah, you had almost like mini cities that were all enclosed and you yeah. could roam around without the abaya on and all of that, you know, so you could. And did you get to speak Arabic? Very little, I have to say. And one of my biggest regrets in life, we were definitely brought up with English nanny and, uh, you know, English schools and, yeah, English curriculum and everything was taught to us in English. But I have an ear for it. So if I'm around it and I, I actually really like it, I find it very comforting, even though sometimes it can be quite a harsh language. It depends on the dialect. And you can almost feel like people are shouting at each other, but I really like it. I really enjoy being around it. I like the, it's like warmth to me. So, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It sort of indicates you're one of those people who um, gravitate towards what you're used to and what, what, you, what you're used to hearing. So, and yeah. maybe this, the business you're in may have something to do with that. Well, what, what do you learn at? I mean, how, how long were you in Saudi Arabia for before you went to Ireland? 10 years. So, yes. from really very young to 10. To 10. To 10 years yeah. of age. They're formative years, you know, like, but mind you, you're in a compound. You were in an international environment, I guess. You yeah. went to an international school and you had, um, you know, as you said, English nannies. But nonetheless, you had to abide by rules mm. big time. Um, and you probably learned very quickly that there's rules inside here and there's rules outside there. Yeah, well, they're definitely um, you need a healthy uh, regard for those rules, absolutely. Um, you need to know what they are. You need to know where the boundaries are. Um, and, you, yeah, absolutely. 
there were very strict rules. Sort of like a, a version of um, lockdown in some respects. We've just gone through the COVID lockdown. It's a bit like saying yes. people who live in, say, Narrabeen, um, recently weren't allowed out of their zone. They had to stay in their zone. And everything they did was within their zone, which is pretty unusual in this country, or particularly in the city. Um, and you, but that's how you lived your life for the first 10 years. That was just normal for you. Yeah. And to be honest, it was normal on the northern beaches where I am a resident now. We're fairly oh, insular yeah. on the peninsula, it, I tell it? you. It was, okay, we'll just stay put. That was the plan yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, absolutely, yeah, it was, it was very much like that. Although in saying that, I really, you know, as a child, you're not aware. You're very accepting. And you look around and you say, well, this is the way it is over here. But I watched my mother in that kind of a situation because clearly that wasn't the way it was for her. So she was getting used to this much more than anybody else, I suppose, in our family. My, my father was given freedoms he was already used to. She was, I suppose, in that lockdown sort of, you cannot work, you cannot, you know, do education here. You cannot, there's so many things she could not do. Drive. Cannot drive, right? So her freedoms were very much hemmed in. And I think I learned from her, because she's a bit of a spitfire, you know, the typical Irish, she, she kind of said, well, I, I get the rules, but I'm not going to, no, I am going to have my career. And so she built a little business out of her home, which turned bigger and bigger. And she, um, yeah. What sort of business was your mother in? Well, she was a makeup artist. So she right. just started teaching people how to do their own makeup, whether it was, you know, daytime, nighttime, evening, pool, whatever it might be. And the number of people just kept growing and growing that just turned up to our, our home to learn. Um, tables everywhere, chair. I was, you know, the little helper putting everything out and watching her and saying, gosh, she she's doing it, you know, and my father even saying, good on you. Yeah, go for it. Even though there would have been major consequences, probably more for him had there, you know, had we been rumbled. But um, she just, and she didn't need to. It was a case of an intrinsic need to have work. And so that taught me a lot about work itself. It taught me about purpose. It taught me about uh, diversity, gender, all of that sort of stuff, watching her and watching her break through a few barriers. And when you went back to Ireland or to Ireland, uh did you think you said, what the hell? Like, how different is this? I did. I remember yeah. we moved in the year of a heat wave in Ireland, which to me was nothing, you know. We were used to 40, 50 degree heat. As, you know, there was never there was never a winter in Saudi. There's just summer in hell. Um, so going to Ireland in the heat wave and just seeing people walk around practically naked absolutely shocked me and, and made me worried. You know, I was, why are people not covering themselves? So that was definitely something I remember. The very first thing I remember when we literally came out of the, Airport was, that's a lot of skin. You know, yeah. Not used to that. <laughs> <laughs> and whereabouts in Ireland did you live? Dublin. Yeah, I live in Dublin. Okay. Well, which is a, a pretty international city, especially in the last 20 years. Yeah. Like it's, it's sort of not, 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 it's not the island that it used to be. No, it's not. It's, they, got, they got everyone from everywhere there. And so in, in Dublin, um, you went to school obviously. So what, did, what were the influences on you during your school period in, in Ireland? Did you start to think, what well, did the, did you sort of flip from um, the influences being those strict rules, living in a Saudi, then within a compound where it was sort of slightly different to everything outside, to I'm now in Ireland and uh, the world's totally different and what influences were sort of confronting you and or did you enjoy too? It was interesting because I think this is the first time I appreciated the word culture, but obviously in the, in the geographic sense and obviously I grew up so far in a place that, you know, largely spoke Arabic, had very different traditions, had different way of life, different kinds of food, different, so many things. And then plunked into a European country at the time. It wasn't 
um, very humble, whereas used to opulence, you know, um, very in its roots. I suppose it's all about the family in Ireland. It is so in, in Saudi as well. So there was lots of little ways that I was looking at this going, gosh, the, the different culture and how it all plays out. I went to an all-girls school um, in Ireland um, and that was in itself a bit, a bit uh, testing. Uh, they weren't very accepting of a different culture, a different background. It, I had a very different accent. It was almost like South African. So I needed to conform very quickly to fit in, to understand what the rules and the norms and the expectations were in this new environment at the age of 10. It would have been a big change, yeah. especially going into an all-girls school. Mm. It would have been a massive, remember, like weather's changed, foods, definitely the food's changed yeah. between Arabic food and um Suddenly discovered Irish. pork. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally, you know. Uh, 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 what's that uh, bull's blood? What's that blood thing that, that oh, yeah. the sausage they have is all bull's yeah, blood? Yeah, black pudding. Black pudding, you know. Pudding. They have it on uh, breakfast everywhere oh, there. Yeah. Um, you just, yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty, uh, whatever, but it's, <laughs> but it's, but you just started to discover this sort of stuff. And, um, and I guess it would have been for a young kid, it would have been, what the hell? Like this is, and yeah. then, then the clothing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, well, I, it's a big difference when you come here to the Northern beaches, if you're up in the Northern beaches of, of even Sydney, less, yeah. even less, <laughs> I mean, like you walk around today and they've got most of the people hardly got anything on, but especially in the middle of summer, but, and, and anywhere near the beach, but it must have been a, a mad change for you. Like, uh. And it must have had a huge influence on you. Did you ever turn to your mum and say, Mum, what's going on? Yeah, a few times. You know, I was really struggling at the at the onset. I didn't like my name, for example, because that in itself, the very first thing that made me stand out. And I just wanted to just retreat and not be different, not be singled out um, for being different. So even that, you know, can I change my name? Can I change the way I look? Can I change this? Can I change that? She was struggling for me. Um, and she's a very protective woman. So anytime I was upset, which actually made it worse, she would just march into the school and start yabbering on to the principal about, you know, you should change this, like change the whole environment. So my daughter can feel more at home rather than she needs to change. So it was a real kind of, she was trying her best to manage it for me. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really, it was a really tough. Transition. And did you see your dad, um, not struggling, but being challenged by the new culture himself? Cause I mean, he's gone from yeah. a to a do- totally different culture again. And, he, and he's the outsider now. Yeah, absolutely. And and forging his own new business there, you know, brand new. And So and what was his business? What did he do up. there when he went up to Ireland? When... Uh, well, he had his great connections with all the supermarkets yep. in the in the Middle East. And then there's brilliant meat in Ireland. So he became a, a beef broker, yeah. shipping so, beef. Yeah, so, so, so sending stuff over to, mm. over to the Saudi or de, to the Middle East at least. Mm. Wow. And, uh, the, the, and But he would have... I mean, I don't know what he looks like, but I imagine he doesn't look like you. You look Irish to me. Um, <laughs> He's fair-skinned. He looks a bit like, uh, have you ever watched The Sound of Music? Yeah. The captain. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. him. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but still, that's not very Irish looking. No. Um, he, so he would have stood out. Your name stood out. You're culturally totally different in Ireland compared to where you were. The weather's different. The language is completely different. The food's mm. different. The school would have been different. Um uh, the only sort of common denominator is your mum and dad, but your dad's different compared to everybody else. Your mum's the same, yeah, but although yeah, Irish people tend to be um, tend to be fairly conservative in in that they they don't sort of um, they they accept what the norm is. That, that, mm. Whereas your mum sort of used to being international, so she she's got that she's got that Irish blood in her where they they'll have a crack at anything. Mm. But at the same time, she'll go and challenge what the norm is mm-hmm. in her world. So mm-hmm. that would have been fairly full on. You got brothers and sisters. Yeah, both one of each, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it must have been pretty full on for your family. 
Yeah. And, and again, I think what I noticed work well, um, and this is over time, was that embracing those differences was, was what worked well. So, for example, when my mother had, you know, parties to welcome neighbors to our, our new home, she would pop on Arabic music and show them how to do Arabic dancing, which they found really exciting. Or we'll put a few drinks in them and have a dance. Yeah, the dancing, the food, you know. Um, so it was, you know, let's let's be different. Let's in, embrace our where we've come from rather than hide it or try to fit in. You know, uh, that name is a great name. It's actually my grandmother's name, my name. So, you know, be proud that it. it on belongs. your father's side. Yes. Yeah. 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 So um, I think that's what ended up working well for us was embracing. So your business called The Culture Equation. Mm-hmm. When did you start your business? I left um, corporate about four years ago. Well, yeah. Maybe explain the cor- corporate part to me. So there's a, there's a part missing here. So when we gone from schooling in Ireland, did you do some tertiary education or did you go straight to work? I did uh, tertiary education in Ireland, uh, University College Dublin, mm-hmm. and I studied sociology. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then from there? Headed over to New York for an internship, which is supposed to be about three months, and ended up there for two years. Yeah. Right. Where, where, where was that? Like, what, what were you doing? Sorry, what's the name of the business or what were you doing in New York? Went to New York to do a PR um, internship. Just yep. felt like it was a nice, maybe explore it over there rather than in Ireland. And uh, it was a intoxicating environment. Loved New York. Loved the the work that I did there was offered additional work, extended uh, the visa, the student visa, I think three times over, um, and ended up having a little baby over there. So really enjoyed my time in New York. Met my husband. You brought the baby back with you. Brought the baby back. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, 9-11 happened just prior to us um, coming right. home, which was one of the triggers to leave. Right. Um, and... Uh, what did you do? So, okay, I'm trying to fill in the missing parts before you got into your business. So yeah. what was the next thing you did after New York? So uh, after New York, I I did sales, just entry-level sales role in DHL at the time. Um, worked my way up in that organization over four years and then went over to Google and, and did the same thing. Started Google at where? Google in Dublin. Right. And started in, in the sales In the financial there. services center or whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's in... Um, a small part yeah, of, yeah. on the edge of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. area. What did you do at, at Google there? Same, so entry-level sales, door-knocking type of sales role, um, which I loved. But advertising sales. sales yeah, advertising. yeah. Um, and very, very quickly, because the, the whole company was growing quickly, it was moved up into a management role and then a sort of a regional manager role. Um, and that's, yeah, that's that was the trajectory from, Sales moving on up to leadership and then learning about leadership, learning about what do great leaders do differently from the rest? What do great managers do differently from the rest? Right. And so that's when I realized this is an organization that very much cares about their own people, their own culture. It's constantly evolving. They're constantly paying attention to it. They're constantly tweaking it. I'd like to learn about that. So moved over to the people and culture side and that's then how I kind of started. Internal IT. people and culture. Internal yeah. people Because culture. what's interesting about Google is um, they're very much, um, I mean, people could talk about algorithms, but let's just put the word algorithm aside. But internal, in terms of the people who use Google um, and or the people who Google wants to address as opposed to people internally, Google are very mathematically based. It's a mathematical-based place in that they take their data and they drive it into models and they build out outcomes, behavioral outcomes, 
And then they sell those behavioral outcomes, which that's what they do. They're an advertising business. And But it's, it's interesting is that you're, you're saying to me internally, though, they're about people and culture. And mm-hmm. um, the people and culture is very hard to, to, be, do, to be built up by data. Um, it's, it, there's, a, there's a sensibility around people and culture, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, like those reward equations that everybody uses, um, you know, there are a number of equations that Google uses. Everyone, Amazon, they all use them. Um, there's a number of well-known, there's like 10 equations, uh, mathematical equations that they all use, but they don't really replace the way you and I or anybody else builds a relationship with somebody else. Although, you know, the data gives you a reasonable I- indication, but as I understand it, it's something like 0.03% accurate. That's that's mathematically 0.03% accurate in terms of who they how they position somebody or an individual who's a a, a, a Google user or a, um, a Facebook user or an Instagram user, it's relatively speaking, they th- they, th- that's not bad um, in terms of targeting, relatively speaking. But if you and I meet someone, we, we, we put a, like a 50% accuracy on their, on our assessment of how, how we know those people. And people and culture is about, to me, is about being accurate mm. and complete as possible and as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. And so people and culture within Google, that must have been an interesting exercise internally. I mean, you worked in that department, um, people and culture. Eventually, yeah. 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 So how did you get, well, okay, you, so you did the Google gig. It was the business a little bit after that. I mean, what, what inspired yeah. you? Can you remember the moment you thought, I, I know what I'm going to do? Yeah, well, the whole, the whole, when I did meander over to the people and culture side and then from there moved in various roles into leadership development, that's where I realized it all hinges. It all hinges on leadership um, and leader. All what? All what? The culture, the right. culture side of things. So behaviors are essentially what culture is. And it's like the personality or the soul of an organization is what the culture is. And I could see lots of little subcultures. And those subcultures obviously lead up to those leaders within an organization. Individuals. Yeah. People copy people. I think we've done that since we were babies. We look mm. at others and we, we copy. Mm. Um, so it's not a surprise that leaders have a massive impact on culture. So that's where I decided, you know, it's maybe time to take this knowledge that I've gathered over nearly 10 years, understanding and love to see. I love to see people experience great fulfillment at work, um, meaning, personal meaning in their jobs. So I felt like this is time to maybe dabble with other organizations and see if what I've learned in terms of how to create intentionally great culture, can work in other organizations. So what was the day you said to your husband, you know, I'm going to go off and run my own business here. I'm just going to have a crack. My husband. What did you do? (laughs) Who did you say it to? Um, No, I I did. I actually actually asked my dad, funnily enough. Yeah, I sort of ran it by him first. And I thought he was going to say, you're crazy. Do not leave such a great job and a great company and all the rest of it. But the first thing he said is it's about time. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was that was a nice feeling of yeah I can I can do this I feel like uh, I'm not crazy, um, I did feel in my own mind that I may you know I may only get one crack at this or maybe you know and maybe it was the right age it was the right time in terms of my family in terms of our kids in terms of um, you know you don't want to leave uh, when things are super unstable like right now would be a very tough time if, if we were going through COVID and everything like that to say, right, let's jump out and start my own business. But, you know, four years ago was, it just felt like the right time. And, and I felt like I had the right support. My husband is incredibly supportive. 
Yeah, but did, did he have any part in it? I mean, like, I mean, I, you're in a partnership with your husband. I mean, in terms of your own family. Um, what do you say? Like, you know, you've got a steady job, you're working somewhere, getting paid every month. What do you say? You say, you know, let's, how's the discussion start? You know, I've got all this history of my social environment growing up. My social development probably prepared me for this. How did the conversation go? Because there have been lots of people out there listening and thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to do something like that, but shit, I don't want to put my family at risk. Yeah. Look, there was, um, to be honest with you at the time, there was some really big changes happening inside Google. And I really wasn't ready for that level of change. It would have meant maybe another move for us and things like that. So I was ready to leave. Are you still at Google in Ireland? In Google Dublin? in Australia. Australia, the stage. I'm right. very settled here. Very yeah. happy. Kids are happy. And, you know, sometimes there are internal forces, like I feel ready, coupled with now there's an external force that I'm not on board with. And I, I, I think this is a good time to leave. Yeah. And so the two came together. And again, my husband has been and always will be, I think, my biggest advocate and, and will always make it so... Yes, we can do this. Um, yeah, we had to look at our finances. We had to make sure we could, for example, afford, let's say, a year of, you know, no income, for example. Could we afford that? Uh, things like that. And we obviously wanted, to, I wanted to go out and see, is what I can do from a consulting perspective useful to others? So getting out there and talking to other leaders and other organizations just to see if this is the sort of thing that they would need um, and obviously pay for. So it's all, you know, is my passion aligned with what's needed in the world and what would actually be, you know, valuable? Yeah, it's um, also your skill, mm. apart from your passion. I mean, a lot of people tell me how passionate Absolutely. they are about certain things they want to go and do it, but if they've got mm. no skill, there's no point trying because <laughs> you're going to get killed, you know, like at the end of the day. You've got to have skill in this territory and you build up the skills. I mean, I think, I don't know, you tell me, growing up, how you grew up in your own social environment, your own social development yeah. has skilled you up to some extent. I think so. I think so. And I'll be honest, you know, watching my mother start her own little business from from our living room really made me feel like this is, a, if, if you can do it in that environment over there, you can do it anywhere. So she kind of taught me just by me looking at her doing it and um, gave me confidence that starting your own business is absolutely not, you know, not going to be a problem if you put the work in, the time in, the effort in consistently it'll happen so why don't you explain to our audience what the new business proposes to your clients yeah we offer organizations uh culture consulting so consulting primarily on their culture on their culture on their culture um so these are for organizations that would like to a understand their culture sometimes they they haven't intentionally built it over time and they'd like to actually understand what what it is so a culture audit exactly a culture audit, um, and then from there, intentionally move it towards where they would like it to go towards. And you're right, there's so much uniqueness in every organization. There is no necessarily one right culture. It is the right culture for that organization. But there are successful lifestyle. cultures. There are, absolutely. There, there are traits, various traits of cultures that are successful, mm. which I guess you share with your clients. You say, well, this has worked in other places. Yeah, and you can say these are global trends. These are things that we're noticing, you know, on a global level that seem to be working and seem to be trends that people that organizations are moving towards. So you can point to that. But you really want to look at that particular business and say, what's right for you? What's right for your organization? Talk to the high performers there. What, what's attracting you to this place? What keeps you here? What gets you motivated every morning? What are the kinds of things that, you know, light a fire inside of you? And then what you want is more of that. 
Okay, we're going to get a break when I come back because I actually want to uh, talk about this because there's been a lot of evolution in the last, particularly in the last 12 months of the way we think about things. Mm. This whole woke movement, um, the great reset they're talking about, um, etc. Um, and I want to talk about that sort of stuff because that has an effect on culture and a business and or does culture affect it. Um, so I want to go to the break and we'll come back and talk about it because I, I'm, I'd be fascinated to hear your views on it. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm back with him and I'm talking about culture and her business is a business of culture consulting to organizations in, in this country, would that be in a, in a, at, a, at a top level. But I want to sort of get into the weeds a little bit here now, mm. him, if you don't mind. Um, maybe let's start with, because it's a difficult one, what is a culture of an organization? I mean, what do you mean by the culture of an organization? Yeah, for me, I think it's that unique personality that is in a culture that, or in an organization where you actually can feel it, you can feel a vibe, you can see that there are unwritten rules, unwritten norms, things that people do instinctively or rituals that they perform. So for me, it's it's all about the personality and the soul of an organization and actually putting your finger on what that is. What are the values that this organization lives by? What is the purpose? What is it here to achieve? Um, how does it make decisions? What are the things that it accepts in terms of behavior? What are the things it does not accept? Um, those are the sorts of things that for me make up a culture. So if I sort of really get down into it and deep into it, um, let's say it's a business where the original founders are no longer there, mm-hmm. but it's a good business doing well. It's got you know, 50, 100 staff, whatever. People working there, but it's got a board of directors who are appointed by the shareholders. The shareholders aren't the original shareholders; they're just people who bought into the business over time. The board of directors are, you know, independent professional directors, so so to be, so call it, and or maybe um, an independent chairman, so that you know there's no uh, no issues in the way the business is run. So the influence of the founder is not there, but it's one well, has a CEO and it has a senior management group in there, two or three people. When you look at the you, – you, and you said earlier you'd go and do a culture audit, you know, you sort of start asking questions and you try to build up for the organisation what is the culture. You, do you deliver that to them and say this is what I think your culture is? Yeah, I think you, this you is do. what your culture values yep. essentially, what you what you demonstrate and what you feel is important. Internally or is it out externally to, in other words, outwards, outwardly towards the customer or is it internally as to how we all interact in the business? Both. So very much internal first, but then how does that then present itself from a customer point of view? Right. And do you interview everybody? I mean, do you 
yeah, is it like it's not, or is it just you go to the the leaders of the business? Obviously, you do go to leaders of business, but do you actually um, drift down into the whole organization, right down yeah. to the very person, very you know, the guy who opens and closes the car park, or whatever the case may be? Yes, to a certain degree, yes. So I, I think it's important to learn as many perspectives as you possibly can. In some large, large organizations, it's not possible for me to do a one-on-one interview with everybody. Other methods are focus groups, for example, surveys, ways that you can just get that sense. And observation, I do a lot of observing, so walkabouts of an organization. So I can really randomly talk to people and not just talk to people that I've been asked to speak to. Yeah, otherwise it gets, you get set up a little bit. You do. Um, and, and, why would, and why would I say a, a CEO or a board of directors want to know what their culture is? I mean, why do they want to know the answer to that? Who... who, who proposes the question in the first place. Yeah, it usually is the CEO, executive, suite, board sometimes. And sometimes it can be because a strategic goal is just not being met. And they are of the mindset, we just don't have the culture to get us there. We need to change the culture. The culture sort of anomaly comes up. And how can we do that? How can we achieve X strategic goal with our culture as it is now? Or how do we move the culture towards what we need in order to achieve that goal. So it starts in that kind of a frustrated sort of area. We are trying to get to here, more innovative, more customer-centric, more this, more that, but the culture is holding us back. Yeah, or, or maybe the culture is holding us back. That's the assumption. Yeah. And then it's, well, who who can help us figure out what our culture is? So they is call it you hold- Yeah, exactly. And you have to, I, I guess you have to walk in there completely unbiased and without opinions on anything cultural because... You know, you could easily have a biased outcome, yes, based on what your biasing is. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, you know, we we make judgments. You're making judgments, and um, when we make judgments, um, we make judgments based on our biases. Um, so, h- how do you manage that process? And, and, and probably importantly, how do you manage the biases of the senior management or the leadership of the organisation? We talk about it. Yeah. We actually literally talk about what our biases. How are they formed? What are perceptions? How are they formed? Um, and we get down to the, the very core of what they are. And we do a little bit of training around that before we embark on any kind of a change program so that we can really understand, am I filtering this through my biases? And what are those? Because I think it is a fact of life. We cannot make decisions unless we make judgment calls. So it's normal. And, and, and within those judgment calls, there will be biases. And those biases will be filtered through our perceptions, through our experiences. So as long as we understand that we have them, we understand what we lean towards, what our kind of our triggers are, then we're at least in a good place to move forward. But discuss, talk. So if it becomes if it becomes unbiased, the culture of the business becomes unbiased. In other words, not sorry, not led by the bias of any particular leader or, or strong person who might be pushing for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes unbiased. Is there a risk that it becomes it doesn't necessarily stand for anything or? Because I, I think of businesses or the culture of businesses to be to some extent to being tribal. Mm. You know, you, you're creating a tribe, um, and a, a tribe. You know, there are all sorts of extremes of tribes, but um, you could have a tribe of um, people who believe in, um, I don't know, Buddha, and uh, and you know, we're uh, walking around the place and singing songs and all that sort of stuff. And if you get one individual in there who doesn't believe in Buddha but sort of believes in um, being generous and giving alms to everybody, gifts, that is, as an A-L-M-S to everybody, still wants to join that organisation. 
how do you address that? Do you walk in and say, no, no, Mr. or Miss, you don't, you can't be in this organisation unless you adopt the same cultural beliefs that the rest of the organisation has? Or do you say to the rest of the organisation, you've got to dilute your cultural beliefs in order to accommodate this particular one individual who doesn't adopt yours? How does it work? I mean, does it become, or do you just say, you're out, pal, you just don't fit in? Great question. I think it's, if you do understand very much what your culture is, what you stand for, and how that's going to have a positive impact, great. And then you do have Positive to, impact, sorry, just positive impact on what? On who? More and more so organizations are more having, we want to have a positive impact on the world, on a specific thing, whether it be poverty, whether it be um, hunger, whatever it might be more and more businesses are moving towards being purpose-led and that is driving more people to want to work for them. So that's the first thing. And then within that values, what do we stand for and how we work together? Uh, What are the kinds of behaviors we're willing to put up with? What's kind of on the edge and what's completely not something we will be willing to put up with? And yes, we might have to make a hard call. Are we willing to make that call? What is the thought process around um, the culture potentially start to break down the tribal environments of businesses? Because, um, you know, some businesses are very tribal there. I mean, I've, I've worked in organisations in, um, you know, all around the world, particularly investment bankers, for example. You know, you've, and there's movies made about these individuals, you know, where they're, they're on, they're working hard, they're making shitloads of money, but they're on the coke and they're drinking piss and they're, they're, but they're unbelievably successful at the same time. They're making shitloads of money. If that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. um, then but there'll be some people in there who are, who are cringing the whole time about it. If you went into that organisation and start to ask everybody what the culture needs to be, someone has to make a call. Someone's going to say, someone needs to say, "We're happy being who we are." Who is it that you listen to? I mean, how how do you? Or maybe you don't make the call; you just put it to them. Do they ever get to a point where they get unbelievably challenged? They sort of say, "Shit, our culture is about making money. We're going to mm-hmm. keep doing what we've always done. We're just going to have to get rid of those people." How do you manage this shit? I mean, what would you say to them? It really, it really boils Maybe down. Maybe they're not going to ring you anyway. They're probably happy with their culture. They probably are. I think where those types of organizations are going to run into problems down the track is finding people who will want to work there. And you're right. There will be a certain type of person that will always be attracted to that. Um, over time, the trends and generations are, are shifting. And more and more people are less incentivized by just money alone. So they may run into issues around finding the kinds of talent that they will need to, con- to power that engine into the future. So the yeah. decision may be made for them, not necessarily yeah, by them. People probably call you in when they've got to make a change. Mm-hmm. There's Absolutely. some issue. There's yeah. something, and they're saying, well, maybe it's our culture that's not working. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's a maybe. It might not be we know. We know it's our culture that's no good because they might not know. But I guess what you're saying is your business goes into places where they need that. If the place is killing it anyway and the shareholders are happy, probably no need to bring in a, someone like you to consult on this stuff. If they have that short-term view yeah, yeah, and think yeah. that we're fine for the next three to five years and we can keep going and we've got the right people in the right places, the right governance, the right structures, the right You're not breaking any laws. You're not breaking any laws. And if you feel that that is how you want to continue, great, you know, or more power to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, if it's more of a long-term view you have and you think this is, you know, and I actually think that this is what COVID has done for a lot of organizations and people. It's given us time to pause and think and slow down. And I think a lot and of- reflect. And reflect. 
And I think a lot of people in themselves are saying, is this what I want for my career? Is this what I, you know, is this, what am I here to do? And why am I here? And maybe this isn't the right career for me. So that's given a lot of people that time. And, you know, we've got some data out, I think, with uh, Qualtrics that, you know, I think one fifth of people in the workplace are thinking about a move. And uh, then in terms of organizations themselves, again, taking time, stopping, reflecting, why are we here? What are we here to achieve? Is it just to pay our shareholders, you know, nice sums of money? And, and you know, if it's all about money, great. And if they're very happy with that and they've taken that time to reflect, off you go. It's interesting because I, mean, I guess COVID too has done something else. It's distributed the uh, workforce mm. to be more remote. And I'm, I'm just wondering whether that's, whether that's going to be good because to have a culture, you need interaction. I mean, you need people to be seeing each other, um, not just on Zoom. Mm. Yeah, I, I just wonder whether or not uh, it's a more difficult, culture is a more difficult thing to build and maintain now that the workforce is more distributed than ever in the past. It's, a, it's really interesting. I think what's happened is COVID has revealed your culture. It's if when you take away the fancy office or the bells and whistles and you are distributed and all you do have is your own living room or your kitchen table and Zoom and, you know, your devices. It really does. Your, your culture is revealed. You know, if you're, one of your cultural values is care, do I really feel cared for and valued? If one of your cultures or values is collaboration, am I collaborating beyond my own team? Is that really happening now? Are things actually happening as per our culture when you take all of that stuff away? And so it really is revealing the culture right now of your organization. It's testing it to its absolute limits. And if it can survive it, it can survive anything. Um, so, and that goes for leadership as well. I think it's testing leadership to its absolute limits. And uh, again, I think this is time for reflection. If it's revealing anything, it's revealing where we're really good, where we're really strong and we need to do more of this. And it's also revealing the cracks and showing where we need to maybe put more attention. Do you think it's um, this COVID period has put more pressure on the leadership to do more culturally because, and, and do you think leaders are just, are just wearing them out? Because I mean, I know myself, I had to do a lot more touchy feely stuff, um, to everybody, you know, you know, we're, we're spread all over the country, um, in one of my businesses. Um, and, uh, I, I felt as though at one stage there, I was doing it just because people expected it. And, um, you know, I got worn out. Mm. You know, literally worn out doing Zoom calls across the country. You know, we do Victoria one one day and do you know, South Australia next day, etc. Um, and then you and you're saying the same things over and over again, and you can't see anybody. I mean, the, you know, the thing you know sometimes works, probably sometimes doesn't work. Probably they drop in, drop out. And I wonder, you know, you're trying your best to show that you care about them. Like we we tried this in Victoria. You know, I I was really concerned about our Victorian friends, colleagues who are all locked down there. For a long time, you know, I was getting worried about their mental health and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but I didn't feel as though I was doing a very good job in my delivery. I mean, I still felt as though I needed to be standing there in front of them as opposed to appearing there in front of them via digital means. I, I, I felt like I was reading out of a script. I wasn't, mm. but I, I felt like that. Um, and then I was, and towards the end, it was exhausting me, um, to be honest with you. Um, and I looked at all my other leadership team and the same would have applied to them, I think. So it's, it was a tough period to keep that culture strong mm. or to keep the connectivity just connected to make sure that they felt like they're connected to an organisation. 
Um, is that some challenges that you've seen across the board? Absolutely. I'd rather have more in the office at the end of the day. And look, we all want to move to where we're comfortable. Absolutely. And I think what me and you are experiencing right now, real eye contact, understanding body language, even the little kind of, you know, you just see somebody in their face, whether they're the nuances. We miss that, don't we? We are wired for human connection. Again, that's what we, that's what we crave. And then we do feel very drained when we are constantly channeling all of our energy through this this well, I'm looking at a TV screen. screen. With these tiny boxes. And I, I can't see what the hell's going on and there might be 50 up there at a time. I, I can't concentrate. Like we're in the office, I can walk downstairs and I can say, oh, hey, how you going? Hi, Tina, how you going? What's going on? And I and then I can go to the other person and tomorrow I'll go down and see somebody else in the afternoon or, mm-hmm. you know, I can single people out particularly if I want to see particular individuals. Um, I find this, uh, this whole period very challenging in relation to um, maintaining a culture and or let alone build a culture. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. People might be sitting there and thinking, "Well, what's the point of being here? I don't ever get to see Boris. Like he's up there in Sydney, and I'm down in Victoria suffering. You know, I can't go f- at that point. They couldn't drive more than five kilometres from their home, mm-hmm. so they couldn't go to their office. They couldn't see their clients, mm-hmm. our customers. They're all being done by Zoom. So, have you been called into any organisations? I mean, I'd imagine this year there's going to be a lot of rebuilding to be done. Absolutely, yeah, and a lot again of that across the world survey data is showing that people don't want to go back a full-time to the office, but they don't want to go, you know, full-time home either. Mm. So I'm sure you're doing the same understanding of what, what, what is it? I I don't know where it sits, but yeah, Yeah. I don't know whether it's one day a week or two days a week. Yeah, And to some extent there are people I want to come in. I'm saying, well, you're only coming one day a week. I actually need you in two days a week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they say, well, wait a minute, I'm happy at home doing four days a week because they've got a new rhythm now. You know, they pick their kids up from school in the afternoon. Um, they go back on the our internal email system and or our system you know, at 6 o'clock or after dinner because it's, it's more convenient for them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the struggle is, well, hang on, is it a matter of being more convenient for you or is it more convenient for me that you actually come in? Mm-hmm. Where's the conv- – who, who wins in these environments? <laughs> I don't yeah. know if there's a winning in this one, but it's well, definitely well, who another. Who prevails? Who prevails? Another probably question for you to think about is if you were to look at this through the lens of your values, personal and your company values, tell me how would you use either of those to make a decision on exactly this, this point that you've just made now, this uh, conundrum that you're come facing? Because I told you to come in. Because so what's the, the value that you're. Because you need, you need my guidance in relation to what you're doing. Guidance. That, that individual, yeah. So mentorship. I, I, no, I want not to mentorship. You, no, but you need my guidance. You know, I need you. It, you can do your other processing stuff, like your admin stuff, that doesn't require anything from me, mm-hmm. any input from me. Three days a week, for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. The other two two days a week, at least one of those, you need me to come and say, "What's going on here? Why are you doing that? Let me have a look at it, and I need to be able to take you through it." I don't have time to do a Zoom call with you and a Zoom call with somebody else, and I don't want to do Zoom calls. Right. I mean, it's all about relationships, okay? And, uh, I mean, can you imagine having a relationship with your partner, husband, wife, or just boyfriend, girlfriend, or partner, if it was all done by Zoom? Mm. It's not possible. So your value is relationships. I want to build a relationship with you. It's not necessarily I want to be over your shoulder checking every well, single too, thing. But, I, <laughs> but that too, in, in relation to some, I'm talking about particular individuals. But that too, because there are some individuals who I have given the job to because I know that I can guide them along. I can, mm. I can help direct them and, I, I, and they're good at taking directions. 
right? But without directions, they're just going to flounder, I know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conversations to be had. Absolutely. And it's a big deal. You have to have them. So I, I guess I'm not looking for a solution, but what I'm saying to you is in this COVID, post-COVID period, culture is a very difficult thing. Culturally, it's very difficult to build relationships with people um, given distribution of people, I think. It's, I find it very, very challenging. And I, th- I see it's, it, well, we are in the weeds here, but it's a very deep-seated issue with, say, probably more organisations like mine, and there's lots of organisations like mine, which are very process administration. You know, we're just a factory. Mm. It's process of process of process of process and checks and checks and balances and checks and checks and balances. And it's sort of, it gets a good rhythm. And that rhythm has been disrupted by COVID big Absolutely. time. And I think businesses culturally, to maintain their cultural integrity, the, the culture that they have, could have a whole new layer of costs coming their way with COVID. I mean, assuming COVID stays the way it was last year, I'm talking about, you know, the vaccine might fix it, I don't know, but assuming it does. But as you said earlier, people start to say, no, no, this is the new rhythm, I work from home. It could be, absolutely. And again, I think it's about having really good, robust conversations now, I would advise you now, on how we work versus what we're working on. It sounds to me like the what you're working on has been honed beautifully over years, as you've talked about. It's automated where it can be automated. It's being, you know, you have really made that super efficient, the what we're working Mm. on, right? Now it's about have more robust discussions on the how we're working. Really have intentional discussions. How are we working? Are we working as well as we could possibly work today? And I would be quite, uh, how much time do we spend on the what we're working on? Our targets, our KPIs, our all those sorts of things, projects. How much time are we spending on all that stuff versus how much time are we spending on the how we're working, talking about it? Measure it on a, on a day-to-day basis. I've just had one conversation about what? Project A, project B. You know, I've had a, a, you know, a conversation with COO about whatever it might be. Have I had one conversation today that is helpful for the entire organization in standardizing or thinking through how we work together? I think you'll have your work cut out for you in 2021. I mean, the culture of businesses is going to be incredibly important working out what it needs to be. Absolutely. Your business. It's, I mean, people like you, there aren't, I don't know anybody who works, who does what you do. I mean, we often talk about the culture. What, how will this affect the culture of what we're doing? You know, how, how, how do people feel? You know, that's the culture, how they feel. Not what we stand for so much, but how do you feel? Mm-hmm. You feel happy. You enjoying your job? Absolutely. What you're proposing is a critical ingredient into 2021, I think. It's a big deal. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so it's, your business, I think, is going to be, and hopefully, you know, we get some people listening to this that might think about what we're talking about and, and reach out to you because I think your business, the conundrum needs to be solved. And I think consultants around specific parts of culture. Mm-hmm are going to be in demand big time. I really do. I think that. Well, it's definitely the trend. I'm getting a lot of a lot of queries, a lot of people coming our way. We're working with a large fintech at the moment, university, quite a large breadth engineering, construction engineering company. Um, of course, Entertainment, which is, you know. Oh, they've been devastated. Yeah, absolutely. But still thinking about their culture as yeah, their yeah. biggest 
brand proposition and how to attract the right talent. So yeah, it's definitely something that is very much top of mind for a lot of organizations right now. Because the economies are going to take, I think the economy will take off this year with the vaccination and the amount of money the government's spending, but I think it'll take off in various parts. Yeah. But those people will still be stretched. And they, and because I think where you're going to be needed, in, well, just from my own point of view, um, say in my own industry, is around the challenges of COVID. Well, the workplace has definitely taken a massive hit, hasn't it? You know, mm. we've seen the workplace just turned on its head in terms of what we knew to be always the norms yeah. have just changed. Um, but for me, this provi- this is an opportunity. Now you can really look at this this small sliver and space and time to think about what does our workplace look like in the future? What are we going to decide? Are our norms going forward? And that's for us. That's And whatever you decide, that's okay. It's It's like I've taken that time, I've paused, I've thought about it, and this is the workplace that I want for the future of my business. Is, and is it and who may, who, is it literally me saying it or do, do you propose that everybody has, a, every person in the organisation can have a say? I mean, is that what you propose or is it someone has to ultimately make a judgment call? Oh, I think it's both. But I think if you want it to move fast in, the, in any direction going forward, the more collaborative and inclusive you make that process, the better. Is it just a process though or is it, do you add, how much weight do you give to the collaboration or I mean, how much weight do you give to the opinion of somebody who just sits at home and um, fills a form out? Look, it, it provides you. How do you, you work out the weighting? Is yeah, the question. You, you've got to look at both. You've got to look at the data that's, that gives you some sort of idea of what's important to the people that work here. Um, what do they feel is important going forward? What do they see as demonstrated as in it's important, but it's not demonstrated. It's important, but it is demonstrated so that you can see where are the areas that you might need to work on. Um, so you might say, these are the things I would like going forward. What do you think? At least you can see how far bought in your your teams are. Maybe they're 100% there already. Well, then how do we make this real? How do we make this live and breathe? If we're all bought in, what next? How do we get this to the point where the rubber hits the road in a way that's quick, easy, everyone understands why we're moving in this direction, the communication is really strong, and, and we get on with it because that we've made this very collaborative, very intentional decision together. So, you know, if you want to move forward in a certain direction, collaborative and inclusive is actually the quickest way forward. It might sound counterintuitive, but it is. And you're getting good responses from your clients? Absolutely. Absolutely. As I say, they, they are making really good decisions throughout this process because their values are top of mind. For example, one organization, you know, was thinking about, okay, 50% capacity in the office. So who do we decide gets back into the office if this was hmm. just coming out of lockdown? How do we make that decision? Well, one of their values is around we develop. And they very much hire new grads. And it's all about developing new grads and, and bringing them up through the business quickly. Well, that means if, that, if that's our value, we develop others to their full potential. Let's bring the new grads back first. They're struggling. Some of them are in share houses. They're waking up in their beds and they're rolling out and they're two feet from their bed, you know, working the whole day. It's really tough. On, they're the ones that they're the cohort that's having the worst time from a mental health perspective. So using the lens of the value, bringing, making that decision and being able to communicate it really strongly, we've thought about this decision through the lens of we develop others. So that's why we've made that decision going forward. And it makes, makes a lot of sense. It actually adds to speed um, more than you would imagine. Your business, the name of the business is called The Culture Equation. Mm-hmm. I think anyone who's listening to this, um, you better get on board and start thinking about 
what is your cultural equation for this year? I mean, it's what's interesting is I always align equations to data and uh, formulas, algorithms, which are formulas, recipes, formulas. So it, it's interesting that culture now has been looked at as a as an equation based or mathematically. Um, and it is is about gathering data. It doesn't have to be like you know bits and bytes. It's, it can be data that's just obtained by asking a question. But ask the question, build your equation talk within your own business, think about this, 2021 can be a great year, but make sure you, you're sort of a, got your head above water and that your business survives this period. So have a look at the culture equation. Thanks very much. That was great. Thank you. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.